Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. IndyCar Weekly. This is Nat Newell. I am the motorsports editor for Indy Star, and I'm joined, of course, by Nathan Brown, our motorsports insider. Uh, we got a lot to talk about uh, on IndyCar with the end of the season, obviously. Uh, Scott Dixon winning the championship, Joseph Newgard winning the last race at St. Pete. Uh, we will also run down some uh, interesting information Nathan got from Roger Penske in an exclusive one-on-one interview. Uh, plenty of uh, silly season uh, updates. Uh, as well as uh, some questions from from uh, folks on Twitter. So, well, Nathan, let's start with the last race. Uh, obviously, Scott Dixon wins his sixth title. Um, you have a story posted currently on IndyStar.com uh, with uh, with Dixon talking about get going for number seven, which obviously tied Foyt for the most ever. Uh, I, I just thought it was really interesting how sort of open he was about uh, you know how important that was and, and that being a real goal for him. Yeah, um, this is really the first time he, you know, he's been pretty measured in his career talking about goals. He doesn't typically talk too much about things that are too far off in the horizon. He said in there, in that story that he doesn't, you know, he wasn't um, really looking to talk about the the historic number seven uh, until he got to six. It just, I think for him with how uh, how much of a tunnel vision he has on his entire career, you know, I mean, we heard him all season when we were talking about the the championship, you know, that he was just really focused on the next race. And I, I think, you know, we hear that so much. I think there really is some truth to that. Um, I, I, you could, you could hear him, uh, when he was talking about this year's championship that we kind of noticed a, maybe a little bit of a different change of tone once we got past the Harvest Grand Prix and maybe some of those nerves kind of picked up a little bit. Um, they did, of course, shadow Joseph the entire race. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think now that this has started to settle in, maybe this is starting to feel more real and more possible. And, and he's probably starting to get a better idea on just how big a deal, both this championship um, that they were finally able to achieve this year and the potential for uh, number seven now on the horizon. And uh, with him, having no desire to to hang up the helmet anytime soon you almost have to think that uh that that's got to happen here at some point uh, where do you think he's viewed historically i mean obviously i don't think anyone's ever going to be seen the same way that that Foyt and andretti are um but the numbers are there effectively um you know just what's your what are your what what do you you hear from fans and what's your own personal thoughts on that topic yeah i i would agree with you i just don't i don't think um you know it almost kind of comes to how we hear fans talk about basketball players i mean michael jordan and lebron james um you know bill russell will chamberlain all these guys played in all these different eras and in racing it it really probably couldn't be any more different than any other sport um scott brought up 
earlier this week when I got a chance to talk to him that AJ Foyt started his career in a front engine roadster and, and ended it in a car that's very similar to the cars that uh, drivers compete in today in the IndyCar series. You know, he was competing on dirt, um, he, all of these different tracks that have been so far gone from the IndyCar schedule. Um, I think there's just this lore with AJ Foyt uh, that I don't know that anyone will ever match. He's got, he's kind of got all of these things. He's at the moment leads in the number of wins. He leads in championships. Um, he's one of the three drivers that have ever won four times in the Indy 500. So he's got all, he, he hits all of these marks that, you know, Dixon is now closing in on those wins. I think he's at 50 now and he's got 17 more to tie AJ, but also only has one Indy 500. Um, granted, uh, Dixon has competed in probably one of the more competitive time periods for the 500, I think you would probably be able to argue. Um, but beyond AJ, I mean, the next name that is brought up always is Mario. Mario leads the series in polls. He's second and wins. Um, he's right up there in championships too. I think that's a pretty good comparison. Um, they're, they're pretty close in wins at the moment. I think Scott will have a very realistic chance to pass Mario next year. I think Mario sits at 54, if I have that in my head correctly. Um, so, you know, he's he was never the, um, the pole sitter champion quite like Mario was, but I think in just about every other way, um, he's, he's a pretty good comparison there. And still with, you know, three, four, five, six years left on his career, um, he's gonna he's gonna get past Mario and all of those marks and and probably get up to AJ here too and maybe even surpass him. So I think I think those three are really good um, comparison. I don't you know once you get to that I think it's it's up to personal preference. Um, but without a doubt, Scott Dixon will go down as as one of the best two or three IndyCar drivers in history when he decides to hang it up. You think he catches Foyt in total wins? I, yeah, I mean, with the pace he's going on, I mean, it seems like no matter whether he wins a championship or finishes second or third, um, he's almost always winning, you know, three, four races a year, maybe two on a, a not so great one. I think he's now won a race in 16 consecutive seasons and a race total in, I think, 18 or 19. Um, so he's always ticking off those boxes as we get back to 17 race schedules with as good as he's still driving at this point, um, you know, I'd say an average of three, maybe probably three wins a year um, for as long as he's driving at this level. And you got to think that's another, you know, four or five years probably. So that's, you know, at that point, that's already 15. You know, and if he's really that close to AJ, you know, say he hangs it up on a season with 65 wins, it would be hard to imagine him to not come back one more um, because I do think, um, that that would really mean a lot to him. As we heard, the seventh championship would mean a heck of a lot to him. Um, and I, I would imagine that that win total would do the same. Let's go rapid fire. So much happened in the, the St. Pete race uh, this weekend. Uh, it's going to be uh, tricky to get to all of it in a uh, reasonably timed podcast. But uh, um, let's start with Newgarden. Uh, obviously, he did what he needed to do um, by winning the race, but Dixon shadowed him and, and did an excellent job staying with him. Uh, just talk about Newgarden's performance on Sunday. It was, I think it took a little while to settle in um, just how great of a day he had. I mean, when you think about, uh, you know, a baseball player or a basketball player, you know, calling their shot, I mean, I, I guess he didn't necessarily predict a win, but 
he, in order to have any realistic chance at a championship, he had to go out and win this race. And you're one of 24 drivers in the field. He didn't qualify particularly well. He started eighth. Dixon was there in 11th. Um, and to be able to be in the right spot every single time to avoid all of these different accidents, um, was, was really impressive. And to make the move that he made on lap 80 to jump both Colton Herta and Alex Polo within a couple corners, uh, and take over the lead when he was sitting there in third, uh, you know, right off a restart guys were struggling with restarts all day long with, cold tires and cold brakes, um, on this 1.8 mile street course. And it was a really impressive day for Joseph. Uh, I think it obviously gets overshadowed a little bit just because of, um, you know, Scott Dixon prevailing. He ended up beating Joseph by 16 points in the end in the championship. But, uh, for Joseph to get a, a fourth win this year in a 14 race season, and still not come away with a title. He only finished outside uh, of the top 10, I think, two times this year. It was just a really great day, um, and he's a, a very, very solid runner-up driver for a, a championship this year. Uh, we obviously just got done talking about Foyt and Andretti, but really, I mean, Dixon and Newgarden, so, you know, it, it, Newgarden's obviously proven what a great driver he is. A lot can happen, but, I mean, it seems like he's in that discussion potentially as well do you think people appreciate just how good um indycar has it to have new garden and dixon both going right now yeah i don't know that we do at this at this point um but we we certainly should he's been with team penske now for uh four seasons he finished first in the championship twice second once and um outside the podium and a little bit of a, a down year as far as he's probably concerned in 2018 when dixon did win but this was probably as competitive as we've had it um, as far as championships go, um, especially without double points in this last race um, for these last four years as these both as these two have been been going at it. Uh, I, I really just hope that we get several more years of this. I don't think that there's any reason why we won't. I can't imagine Joseph um, stepping away from the sport, can't imagine him leaving Team Penske, and can't imagine Scott um, stepping away in the f- next few years either. So any Anytime that these two are in this sport, you've got to think that they're going to both um, be fighting for championships. And then you've got, I mean, you've got guys behind them like Alexander Rossi, Will Power, Simon Pagano, um, probably Colton Herta and Pato Award here soon. So you get deeper beyond them. Um, they're probably the two strongest contenders every single year, but the people behind them are going to continue pushing them. And I think that's what makes this really special, too. So we'll go rapid fire through the race. Some of the, the lot of news out of that. Will Power uh, had the pole, but then crashed. Another and a what's been a really bad luck year for him. Yeah, it was. Um, Power had a chance to um, take third place this year, which would have been really, really strong considering how his first half of the year started. Um, he struggled with shifting early in the first like four or five laps of the race and dropped down to fourth, and then just lost it. Um, in I think turn three or turn four of the course, it was a, a tough day for drivers dealing with some of the marbles coming off the tires, and some of those co- some of those corners um, got to be really sketchy. And he just was you know kind of put the car in the wrong spot where you can't really put it uh, driving by himself and spun right into the wall, and and his day was over with. It was a tough um, way to end the year for him. He you know got out of the car and and threw his gloves. You could see 
um, how frustrated he was. He'd been kind of measured in interviews all year, even when talking about the frustration, but things certainly kind of boiled over for them, uh, for him there a little bit, I think. Uh, you mentioned the power crashed out the same uh, turn, so did Alexander Rossi. Uh, I give him credit. You know, he's never one who's shy to sort of point the finger when he thinks someone else is to blame, often accurately, but uh, he made no bones about it that that was – that was on him uh, on Sunday. Just talk about, uh, you know, another bad luck, power and a bad luck season. Rossi obviously did too. Just talk about his day and season. Yeah, and this was really, I mean, I guess you could point to the Indy 500. I know he was supremely frustrated with uh, the ruling from the um, from IndyCar officials. But beyond that, this was really the only instance this year that Rossi did anything wrong um, that, you know, on track that, made a, a real big difference. I mean, he, he got pummeled um, from behind to start the first race at Gateway that pretty much ruined that whole se- that whole uh, race weekend. Engine didn't fire at Texas, uh, had another mechanical in the GMR Grand Prix. Uh, but this was really a, a tough way to see this season finish. This was his race to win. He'd led, um, I think, about 65 laps or so, or at least more than 60 um, and was, was certainly the stronger car. We were going through the final pit sequence there and um, was going into, I think, that same corner that Power lost it in, just got into the marbles, lost it right into the wall, uh, and he finishes uh, a frustrating year. The first time his IndyCar season, or in his IndyCar career, to not have a win, um, which was very uh, atypical for him, but I wouldn't expect this to be the norm uh to just think it was a lot of things that kind of piled up for him and for some of his andretti autosport teammates as well so expect him to be back strong next year um and and fighting again as we've uh grown to expect him fighting again for a championship uh the race was also scott mclaughlin's uh debut uh, a lot of uh, i guess hype around it um he obviously went out early but uh, what were your impressions of uh, his first race yeah uh he his first practice near the end on saturday he was uh, i think with maybe about five minutes to go he was sitting i think second in uh the fastest lap time didn't qualify super well um he was i think doing okay in his first race uh when he kind of got caught up in a, a restart situation um i think he was trying to block uh, Marco Andretti on making a pass. His rear tires got locked up and uh, lost control, ran right into Renus VK um, and set Renus back on the day. So it wasn't uh, maybe a, a great rookie performance from Scott, but I would still, you know, anyone who Roger Penske wants to bring on to his team, having not seen him in an Indy car before, I think says a lot about the potential that he sees in the driver and Roger doesn't typically pick too wrong on drivers bringing them into the fold and his teams. So uh, I would expect a lot out of Scott. He'll get a chance to test on the oval um, later this week uh, at IMS um, to get through his rookie orientation program there and will undergo a lot more testing. So I think this testing he gets in the next week and a half or so as we move into this off season, I would expect a a lot more competitive drivers. We get to go back to St. Pete um, for the next race in uh, in to start the 2021 season in March. Uh, finally, a strong day for uh, the Foyt team. Uh, you know, just talk about the, their finish as well. Yeah, uh, it was a really great day. Sebastian Bourdais qualified the car um, pretty high in the the fast six process. I think he might have started seventh. Um, and he climbed up to fourth, survived all of the carnage in front and behind him. And in particular, a really strong day for Charlie Kimball. He um, 
has has kept the car pretty clean all year, but just hasn't shown that pace that you would would hope to see from a full season driver. And he, uh, you know, I talked. I had a chance to talk to him before the race uh, this weekend, and you know, felt like if he could, along with Sebastian, if they could together um, show some promise in teaming up together and, and put together a strong performance to end the year with that there might be a chance that he could stick around there and they both did that um i i I really think charlie um is a driver that deserves to probably continue being in this series where he ends up this offseason is a little bit unknown but finishing the year with uh, an eighth place performance his second top 10 of the year um that's uh, certainly a good way for the the foyt team to go into this offseason as they continue to build and hope that next year is the the real full year that we get a chance to see a little bit different team. Uh, let's run down the, uh, the, the final standings here. Obviously we've hit on the, uh, the guys at the top, but uh, right after uh, Dixon and new garden, obviously our, our Herta and award, uh, you touched on them briefly in terms of having some, some young talent coming up. But, but again, I mean, for those two guys to finish uh, number three and number four uh, speaks well of them. And obviously uh, a lot of, you know, there should be some excitement around the, the series about adding talent. Absolutely. Um, on, on Colton, I think, I think this is a the jump that he needed to take after a little bit of an inconsistent year last year as a rookie. You know, he did pick up two wins, um, a couple poles, but did struggle at times to just find those, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh place performances when he didn't necessarily have a winning car. And he did that this year, only finished out of the top 10 three times. Um, one of those being an 11th place finish uh, on Sunday where he also had a top three car and um, I believe spun at some point in the final 20, 25, 20 or 25 laps um, and still managed to finish um, on the lead lap, but um, had a you know a bit rough day compared to what he could have had. Pato finished second to Joseph um, for the second time this year. He finished second for the third time this season, uh, along with another third place at Gateway. So this is um, an incredibly strong uh, first full season campaign for him, for the Air McLaren SP driver. I would expect to see him in victory lane here soon when we get started next year. Um, And he's a driver that, you know, maybe, maybe he doesn't contend for a championship next year when you see all these drivers, but I would expect him to be close. Um, certainly would be able to contend for a top three spot uh, and continue his his rise. Joseph had a lot of great things to say um, about him really all year, but particularly in the post-race interview uh, on Sunday was um, says a lot about both about Joseph and about Pato that Joseph made a point to bring up Pato in the post-race interview and just praise him for how great a driver he is and, and how great of a future he should have in front of him. I'm just looking down the list here. So if there's someone you think I'm missing, uh, then speak up. But uh, Graham Ray Hall, number six, I think that was a good season for him. Uh, just talk about what that means yeah. uh, uh, for Graham. Yeah, um, another driver that was really consistently in the, the top ten all year. I think he had nine top ten finishes um, uh, and – uh, I think felt like he was really close on several races this year that he could have won. His last race win did come in 2017, but he's right there on the cusp of of being a, a title contender. Um, his teammate there in seventh, Takuma Sato, of course, won the 500. A little bit of a rough finish to the season following that uh, following that 
Indy 500 win along after second at Gateway, but still a, a sixth and seventh for Ray Hall's two drivers is is nothing to uh, to complain about. Simon Pagano a little bit of a rough year after his strong start with the win at Iowa uh, to finish eighth. The farthest down uh, a Team Penske driver has finished in a couple years, and then we've already talked a little bit about Rossi and Rossi's teammate. Ryan Hunter-Ray caps the top 10 um, in 10th place, was able to put together a 5th place finish after another uh, up-and-down season for an Andretti driver. Um, beyond the top 10, the things that stand out to me, obviously you have Rookie of the Year, Renus VK, in 14th place um, in a battle where any anyone from 12th to 15th, those four drivers there were separated by three points in the final standings. Um, Jack Harvey finished 15th, but um, had several top 10s in a, a, his first full-time year. I think Jack's a, a top 10 driver in this series and would expect to continue to see more out of him next year, potentially a podium or even a win. Um, and uh, let's look here. Um, I mean, I guess a, a surprise, certainly, uh, when you see a name like Marco Andretti down in, in 20th in the standings, as we've talked about all year, a, a rough year beyond his Indy 500 pole. Um, only had one top 10 finish and finished 13th in the 500 there. So um, kind of a head scratcher. I know they dealt with a lot of mechanical stuff and um, even had some issues like on Sunday where he got uh, kind of taken out by Takuma Sato and finished 20th. Um, just kind of a year where nothing really went right except for that uh, pole day on Sunday before the 500. But um, got to think that, you know, he's still wanting to stick around and do this. Uh, he's a co-owner on his car. And I think you know, we'll probably see a bounce back from him. He's still, um, you know, typically around the, you know, 10th to 12th range as far as driver standings go. So um, we'll be interesting to see what he can rebound for uh, in 2021. Uh, you had a one-on-one interview with uh, Roger Penske uh, this weekend in which there were a number of interesting things said. Uh, obviously, one, one thing that jumps out is the tickets sold were at, I believe, 165000 for next year, um, which is ahead of the pace last year. Obviously, a lot of people rolled over tickets. They weren't given a chance for, um, you know, that, that was an obvious uh, thing to do. Um, but I would think it's a good sign for the, the series and the Indy 500 that uh, um, that many people are, are ready to go to the, the race in May, barring with, with the pandemic, of course. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, you always want to, after a, a weird year like this, especially a year where fans weren't able to attend the 500, you certainly wouldn't want um, to think that folks would be getting disinterested in the race. So it's certainly uh, a good sign that um, that they've still got as much interest as ever and folks hungry to be able to go watch that race in person next year. Um, you know, we continue to cross our fingers and hope that the health metrics move in the right direction when we go through this winter and into next year. Um, I know at this point, you know, Roger told me that they uh, they don't, you know, you can't really predict what next May is going to look like. And so they're, I think, put, putting together uh, a list of several plans at this point, probably on the outset of on on several of those um, to, to see what they can possibly be able to do. So once we get to the spring and have a better idea of where the health metrics on this pandemic look like a little bit, they'll have um, a good starting point, a good jumping off point to to be able to plan and, and hopefully certainly be able to have tens of fans attend that race. Roger Penske's comments on the Indy Lights. Uh, just give us a quick recap on uh, on how that came down. Yeah, um, the Indy Lights schedule for 2021 was released 
um, on Thursday late morning. Uh, and the first thing the fans uh, understandably noticed on that was that there was no Freedom 100 on the slate for 2021. It's been a really big part of that series um, in terms of just you know how big it is for the series in general. I mean, it's their Indy 500. It's the the um, one of the few chances that those drivers get to drive on an oval. Um, it's their one chance to drive on the IMS oval. No one else, uh, you know, in the latter series coming up gets a chance to drive on the oval. So that's really a, a really, really big deal for those drivers. It's uh, started back in 2003. You've had guys like Ed Carpenter, Joseph Newgarden, um, other drivers with some pretty big names, Colton Herta, Oliver Askew win that race. And uh, it's a really big deal for those young drivers. Um, it attracts a lot of attention for their sponsors either that they have at that point or um, is, is a big deal that they could give to a potential sponsor as they're looking to, you know, build on their opportunity coming into the series that following year, you know, after they would presumably leave light. So um, from what Roger said, you know, he, I think his biggest concern is uh, driver safety in that race. We have, you know, we did have a, a pretty ugly accident that ended up being okay uh, a couple laps into the 2019 Freedom 100, um, where a, a driver's car ended up kind of sliding along the top of the wall and uh, was touching the the fence line there. So I'm sure that probably you know didn't leave a great taste in his mouth when he's thinking about taking over the series. And that happened just the the last race. But really overall, it's been an exciting race. It's been um, really one of the most exciting races that we've had actually on that track in the last 10 years. You know they almost always consistently uh, put together photo finishes. We even had a four wide finish here six years or so ago. Um, you've got guys finishing in with, you know, just a couple thousandths of a second of each other to decide the race winner. So it was a little surprising. Um, I think it caught a lot of people off guard and, and Roger um, wasn't necessarily super pleased with the reaction to the decision. I don't think either. And um, and let out some of his frustration in that interview, which you can check out on IndyStar.com. But, um, you know, I guess I would hope that they're able to find a little bit of a middle ground to make him feel comfortable holding that race there because um, it's it's tough to, to train these drivers uh, as they're coming up through the ladder to be able to race in what is, of course, the biggest race in IndyCar if they haven't raced on that oval before um the the lights calendar in 2021 only has two ovals period uh without the the freedom 100 so it'll be interesting to see how these drivers that come up through karting and then maybe spend three four years in the road to indy um without a whole lot of oval experience how they continue to adapt as they jump up into indycar in 2022 and beyond yeah, we've talked about it, uh, obviously, uh, not on the podcast, but uh, it struck me as a little odd as why you wouldn't schedule the event and then just tell everybody, hey, if, you know, first sign of trouble, this goes because we need the flexibility to get the 500 in. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, that's sort of what jumped out at me. And, yeah, and I, I guess I sort of understand his frustration. I mean, Penske buys IndyCar, IMS, everything. Um last year and then the pandemic hits you know it's got to be the worst time possible but he, you know he supported the series and, and and made sure everything uh they had as as complete a season as possible um so i understand some of the frustration certainly but uh it does seem a little odd um we've also uh, he's also uh with the with the brickyard 400 going to the road uh course 
Um, there is always this sense that you know only the Indy five or Indy, there used to be a sense that only the Indy five hundred should run on the oval, that kind of thing. Um, do you think there's a little bit of that traditionalist in Penske, or uh, where do you, I mean, is that part of the the equation? He certainly did say in that interview I had with him over the weekend. You know, he he made a point to bring that up himself, and he did feel uh, you got us that there was. Uh, a sense of pride there, you know, that the 500 is now the only race running on that oval. I don't know that he would go um, and say outright that it's his goal and, you know, it's his drive to make sure that the 500 is the only race on that track. But he certainly said, both in this interview and, and prior, that um, the IndyCar does not want to be hosting races um, that it do- doesn't think are deserving of uh, the the history and the fame of IMS, you know, I think they've got a good variety at the moment with having the uh, Xfinity and Cup drivers on the road course. You've got next year um, IndyCar itself running two road races, and then the 500. You've got uh, Indy Lights running a couple races on the road course. But you know, it, it is a little weird. You know, after we got over this hurdle uh, in 1994 when the Brickyard 400 came for the first time. You know, up until then, at that point, um, for decades and decades and decades, the the Indy Five Hundred had been the oval only oval race at that track. Um, it would would seem a little weird to revert back to that, but I do think Roger um, really appreciates the history of that track and the series a lot, and and that could certainly be something that's maybe driving some of this in the background a little bit. Uh, let's move on to silly season. Uh, we just posted a story that you had on uh, Marcus Erickson. Uh, returning with uh, Ganassi. Um, what else do you expect to see in the coming days on where, which drivers are going where? Yeah, um, I mean, the, the biggest seat I think that people are curious about at the moment um, is who might be Marcus's teammate uh, there in the number 10 car. There have been reports that uh, Felix Rosenquist is leaving the team uh, with the end of this season and going to Aero McLaren SP. There's uh, been no announcement from from either side to that effect, um, but it does seem likely that uh, Felix is split there after a couple years. So that would leave the number ten car open. Um, I asked Chip over the weekend when he was announcing Jimmy Johnson's uh, sponsor for his Road and Street races in the number forty eight, which is the fourth car on that team. Um, if he did expect and plan to have four cars and he affirmed that. So that number 10 car is not going away. Someone's going to be driving that. And I think we'll get that news here very soon. Um, when you look at other seats that are up for grabs this year, um, you know, at the moment, there's only two, uh, Andretti Autosport drivers have confirmed for 2021. That's, uh, Alex Rossi and Colton Herta. Um, so you've got the number 26, which James Hinchcliffe, drove for the last three races of the year. I would consider him a front runner for that seat. You've got Ryan Hunter Ray that does sound like he's close to um to uh getting DHL and his team um on board for another season next year and Marco you would assume would come back, but those things are not official yet. Um as I said, we've got uh, Air McLaren waiting to officially announce someone in Oliver Askew's seat in, in the number seven. Um, Dale Coyne Racing, both their drivers um, are not linked uh, up for next year. Santino Ferrucci told me um, at the Harvest Grand Prix over that weekend that he was um, basically all but confirmed to be going uh, or to, to be staying there in his seat in the number 18. Alex Pillow, um was much 
much more uncertain, um, even about finding uh, a seat for uh, next year and beyond. So we'll see how some of that plays out for him, even though he had a, a pretty strong, solid year for the most part. Um, you go on on down the list, as we said, Team Penske is going to be at four cars next year. Ray Holland and Lanigan uh, inked Takuma Sato to uh, a 2021 deal over the weekend. So they'll be um, still at two cars. I know they've there's been some talk that they might move to three. I think it might be a little bit uh, premature to think that that might happen for next year, but that's always a possibility. Um, Renus VK was announced over the weekend uh, to be the full-time driver of the 2020 or the, of the 21 car in 2021. Um, so now they're waiting to pair uh, and a road and street only driver with Ed Carpenter. Obviously, Connor uh, Daly drove in that seat this year, and Connor has said that he uh, is really hoping that he has a chance to put together a full season program with Ed Carpenter Racing and his primary sponsor, Air Force. Uh, I think there's a, a really significant chance that those two could potentially do that, which may might mean we see uh, Ed Carpenter Racing at three cars next year, which would be really exciting, which would then mean you know, you've got a, a road and street spot open there for Ed's car, um, any other spots that are available, you've got Jimmy Johnson's oval only driver, um, which I wouldn't expect until probably early next year, just because of none of the testing beyond, uh, today on Wednesday uh, and Wednesday and Thursday at IMS are on an oval. We don't have any other oval testing until next year. So there wouldn't be any reason to rush into something with that. Um, we would have the, the Carlin oval driver, uh, to pair with Max Chilton, um, is open. There's a, a chance, uh, probably a, a pretty solid chance that uh, Meyer Shank Racing does expand to a second part-time car, uh, and that's a, a spot that we could see someone maybe like a you know an Elio Castro Neves perhaps as he's looking to find a solid seat that could be a, a really good spot for him. Uh, and then I think the last one is the the number four car at AJ Foyt uh, that was driven by Charlie Kimball this year. As I said earlier. Um, I think that there's a pretty a pretty decent chance that Charlie stays in that seat, especially after you know getting a chance to see him and Sebastian and the team working together really um, for the first time after some um, prep time, some legwork ahead um, this weekend. You know, it would be nice to get them to see to to have a chance to keep some consistency um, as they build that uh, team and not just continually turn over drivers. Um, it'd be a, a be a pretty tough thing to do. So those are the biggest highlights. Um, I would expect a lot of wheels to be in motion over these next couple weeks for some of those big ones, um, like say Ganassi or Andretti, um, other ones like, you know, Foyt or Meyer Shank, um, in particular might take a, a little bit of time here as we get into the, uh, much shorter off season than we are used to with just about 130 days or so now between, uh, today and the season opener at St. Pete in 2021. Uh, why don't we get to the questions from our readers on Twitter? What have we got for us? Sure. So, um, let's see. First question um, from Joe Bowling. Uh, do you expect any changes at Andretti Autosport outside of Herta's third place and Marco's Indy Pole? 
uh, the season has been considered a disaster by that team's standards. Um, I would agree. I think this has a tough, been a tough year for them. They did come on strong a little bit here toward the end. Rossi had four consecutive podium finishes. Colton got a win there. Um, I know it wasn't the the Sunday that they hoped for, but they did have some really strong cars in that race. So, um, like I said earlier, uh, I would expect Marco to be back. I would expect Ryan to be back for at least another year. Um, and I really think they are, are really passionate about keeping James Hinchcliffe in that car in the number 26. He's got some of the backing from Genesis. I know his team is continuing to work kind of in the, the background to get um, the full season support to make to bring that to fruition. But um, it, it seems like there's not really an A, there's not, I don't think, a, quite the caliber driver maybe available that uh, that they would want to bring in for their fifth car. I think they want to stay at that five car number. Uh, and I think James eventually will be the one that will help them stay there. Um, question here from Carrie Leinbach. Um, what does IndyCar have planned to make driver cooling better next year? Um, other than 500 testing, will Firestone be able to do some testing at other tracks before next season? On the aero screen, uh, as we saw this season, I think that's a piece that uh, IndyCar is just continuing to develop and tinker with a little bit. We saw several changes with it just um, throughout the season, even like week to week from say the GMR Grand Prix to Road America, you know, there were some developments with that. So I think these next four months or so, this off season will give IndyCar um, uh, an ability to actually decide maybe what alterations they want to stick with going forward. We saw a lot of experimentation race to race with this, but not maybe a lot of consistency or a lot of things that teams had to use um, from weekend to weekend. So I would expect maybe a little bit uh, better consistent finalized plan um, for that. And I'd be surprised if they would move and, and switch pieces around and develop it much next year because I think this is off season for that program is enough to to get it to where it needs to be. It, a lot of drivers did say after the race, uh, that October race and that muggy heat in Florida was really, really tough to deal with. Maybe actually one of the toughest or maybe second toughest along with IMS in July races of the year. Um, that's certainly not something that they want to hear drivers focus um, on and, and struggling with. So I think we'll continue to see some more development there. Um, and then Matt Voles, uh, what was the biggest surprise, either good or bad, in your opinion this season? Um, I really think that was probably Andretti Autosports' problems. As we said, um, just a big variety of things, whether it was, um, I think Ryan hunter Ray um, ran into the wall coming out of pit lane twice at Iowa. You had some weird mechanical stuff with Rossi's car. Um both at the, you know at the start of the season in particular, um, Colton ran a really strong race and then got uh, you know ran over the top of Renus VK that pretty much killed his Iowa weekend um, that pr- probably prevented him from challenging maybe even for a second place or uh, or a uh, a championship even this year. Um, Marco a really weird season with only one top ten along with the pole. I think that was probably the biggest surprise for me um, just to to not. Uh, not have them in the championship hunt really uh, seriously with any of their drivers. Um, we will keep moving on here. Um, Andrew uh, Drybulbis, uh says, do you know if there's any plan from the series to figure out a way to get more ovals on the schedule in the future? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I actually have a story that I am working on uh, for probably next week, so be on the lookout for that. But 
In short, uh, Roger did say this weekend in my talk with him, he does want to see um, more ovals. He d- it's something that he's passionate about. They don't want to stay at just four on a 14-race schedule. So I think I think that's something that could we could see in 2022. But it is tough to bring a brand-new track onto the schedule. It's normally a, probably a two- or three-year process. So if they're just starting talks with, say, a, a Kentucky or a Kansas or um, – I don't know, Chicagoland or Milwaukee or anyone who has a track that's fit to run an IndyCar race on an oval. Um, those talks are going to take some time. There's lots of time and effort that goes into it from Firestone to, to test and develop the proper tire for those tracks that they haven't run at for a long time. So um, we could see that in 2022, but um, don't, don't maybe expect a jump back up to, say, seven ovals um, right away. Question from Andy Merrick. Um, so Nathan, you're wrapping up your first year as an IndyCar insider. What has surprised you about covering the sport as an insider? Um, and what are a couple of things that fans might not realize about the series bosses? I think the thing that surprised me the most is just how fast these races go, man. Uh, you know, you think of uh, an IndyCar race that's, say, 200, 300 miles, and it goes by awful quick, and it's um, tough at times, I think especially at the start of the year, to just kind of um, keep track of everything that's going on on track, especially for an oval race where those cars are just moving so quick. Um feeling like I'm getting a little bit better at it, but that's still something, um, especially next year when we have maybe some more consistent schedule, I'll be a, a little bit better to give some more perspective of everything that's going on in race on the track um, all over the field from the, the top to the bottom. Um, something might not know about the series bosses. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Roger Penske and Mark Miles, I feel like they're a pretty open book um, and you know been pretty open really for the most part. Uh, if I think of anything, Andy, I'll, I'll comment there on, on Twitter, but nothing coming to mind here at the moment. Um, Andrew Staley says, what does the 2021 driver sponsor lineup for Ganassi look like with the departure of Felix and a possible part-time schedule by Jimmy Johnson? Uh, as we talked about, uh, Mark Erickson staying in the number eight. I would expect some news on the number 10 here um, fairly soon, uh, but they will definitely be a four-car full-season team, so there will also be someone that's joining Jimmy in the number 48 as an oval only driver here in the future. Uh, Brian Kelly asks, any chance we see Ray Hall at a third car? If so, will it be Antonio Felix Acosta? Um, as I said, I don't know that signs are pointing toward that for next year. Um, we, if DaCosta is testing, uh, at Barber for the team, um, here in just, uh, less than a week now. And, uh, I have read, I think, the race.com uh, was the one that I'd seen it at, so I wanted to give props to them. They were the ones that uh, had reported that DaCosta's uh, contract in Formula E it does go through the 2021 season, and with as successful as he's been there, it would be a little surprising for him to leave that sport at this time. So I don't know that he's going to jump now, but maybe he comes in 2022, and if that's a driver that they are interested in, that might line up perfectly for a timeline for them to add a third car here uh, a year from now. Um, question from uh, Adam TM24 on Twitter. Third manufacturer speculation. Um, don't know that there's anything on the early or, or the the near near horizon. Uh, I do think that's something that IndyCar really wants to sure up here in probably the next year or so because you uh, you know hopefully probably even by the summertime because you need about. 18 months uh, in order to put that program together for a new engine manufacturer coming into the series. That's what I've been told um, by folks from around the series. So you think 
uh, you know, early or mid 2021 to the start of 2023, when IndyCar moves to a new engine uh, design with uh, what they announced back earlier this month. That would probably be about the ideal time to add someone maybe the end of next season to announce it at the very latest, but they need a lot of runway in order to, you know, develop that, test that, um, get set up with the teams that are going to run that engine. Um, so whether it's Ferrari, whether it's someone else, uh, I think, you know, we would certainly hope that say by shortly after the Indy 500 next year, hopefully there's some news on that front, but nothing to, uh, bring to the table at this point that we haven't already heard about. Um, some more questions here before we finish up. Um, another one from Andy Merrick, um, said, Nathan, you've talked so much about people in the pack this year. What did you learn about the business side of IndyCar that you didn't know before? Um, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me, especially getting into this full silly season is just, you, you realize how many drivers are, just on a, a one-year deal, um, year to year, or you know maybe it's a, a, a technically a two-year deal, but one of those years is an option. And there's so many drivers that are racing for their careers every single race and every single year, year in and year out. Um, it's it's amazing to think of how much turnover we're going to see here, um, and and so much of it is because teams don't necessarily have a driver lined up, uh, you know, inked up, secured for next year and beyond. We have so many, you know, only, only a handful of drivers have these two or three plus year deals. Um, and it's, it's just going to continue to be really interesting for me as someone new to the sport to see how much turnover there is. Um, and that's something I'm, I'm really keenly focused on. Um, Phil Whitwer, uh, asks, where does, Carlin stand on a second entry for 2021. I don't know specifics on that at the moment, but I would think if they can find the right driver combination um, and a, and probably a driver that comes with some budget, with some sponsorship with them, I think that would be something that they would want to get back to. They had really a pretty good amount of success uh, from that standpoint in 2020 or in uh, 2018 when that was the first year. I think they ran two cars kind of a shaky year in 2019. And then when we got into the pandemic, it was just going to be hard for them to pull off. They were, as we saw, scrambling in the early months of this year, trying to find a driver. They tested a couple different guys at Coda and uh, beyond, but didn't find that right one to put into the car. And then, of course, the season got on hold. Sponsor might, sponsors might have gotten kind of scared away, and it was tough to uh, to bring that to the fold. So um, I uh, I would say it's maybe 50 50 or so to see that next year but we will have to wait and see um a couple questions here from mikhail artistan uh uh one of them what do you think elio is going to do next season um i know he said that he wants to be a full-time driver but um it's starting to seem a little unlikely that a a full-time seat would would work out for him i'd say maybe the best chance at one of those might be uh, potentially the the Foyt seat in the number four, but he has also said that he doesn't want to just come uh, to race at the the middle or the back of the field. And that car, as we've noted, has had some struggles getting uh, to be a consistent competitor. So as I said earlier, maybe a, a better opportunity for him potentially might be that Meyershank racing seat that we expect to be a, a, a partial season entry next year. You know, it's not exactly what he wants but it's uh an opportunity to race in the 500 and maybe race at 
you know, six, seven, eight different tracks, which I think he would, would probably take um, as, a, as a good compromise. But we will have to wait and see on him. I know when I talked to him last in early October, um, he said he was talking with four teams. Um, and I would have thought that probably one of those included uh, Aaron McLaren SP, given that he ran for them at IMS. So that's probably one that's off the table. Uh, and we'll see where else might be possibilities for him. Uh, another question from Mikel. Um, how did the JJ and Chip relationship come together and what happened with McLaren as they seem poised to add him? You know, I think from what we've heard over the last several months, uh, Jimmy Johnson and Chip uh, and, and Scott Dixon, for that matter, I think have all known and, and respected each other um, and been fairly close. Um, maybe Scott and Jimmy more so that case than, say, Chip and Jimmy, um, although Chip has obviously been involved with NASCAR and seen Jimmy's dominance over the last couple of decades there. So I think they just had a, a pretty, um, you know, solid working friendship relationship, whatever you want to call it. And as Jimmy got, you know, he showed some interest in coming to IndyCar. Um, obviously, uh, you know, one of the first people that you're probably going to talk to as a, as a longtime driver and a veteran of the series is Scott Dixon uh, and Chip Ganassi um, as someone who was familiar with him over in NASCAR. And I think that, you know, that just kind of started as one of the two or three teams that he might have started talking to along with Aaron McLaren SP. Um, He got that chance to test with Ganassi first. And I think he really, um, I think it was really important for him to find those relationships with Scott as a teammate and a driver um, along with Dario Franchitti, who's someone he's really close with, who is their uh, driver coach on that team. I think the combination of those two drivers really sealed it for Jimmy from what I can tell as far as helping him decide where he wanted to be. As far as Aaron McLaren, you know, he would have been teaming up with a, a strong driver in Pato, but still relatively new to the series. You don't really at this point have that veteran that he can lean on. Um, and I know that they've got um, a lot of different folks in that uh, organization between uh, Taylor Kyle, who's their managing director, Jill um, DeFerrin, Zach Brown. But um, I think he was maybe just looking for maybe a little bit more stability um, and a little bit more of a, a solid background and a resume of folks that he could lean, learn and lean on uh, from time to time. So those are the questions that we had this week. Thanks so much for those that um, that pitched those and sent those in. We certainly enjoy that part of this podcast and uh we'll look forward to a lot more of that this off season all right and we thank you for listening uh please uh go to indystar.com for plenty more on uh on the indycar season off season uh nathan has to get out to ims right now for the the testing so uh uh we appreciate you listening